Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you, our uh, our Thanksgiving went great. Joanne killed it with a turkey this year, and we decided instead of going for like 15 people, we went for like 10 people, but only seven showed up. So we've had so much leftovers, and uh, and I'm not a huge turkey guy. I'll be honest. I mean, I like the dark meat, but I've been eating leftover turkey, and of course, everybody brings stuff to our house. So we had so much cheese leftover, stuff like that, that I've I got to start going to the gym because I went to the gym. I told Joanne I'd go. I went on Sunday morning. And I've not been to the gym. And you guys know I lost my Fitbit, so I lost some of my motivation. And I went to the gym and I figured this one thing out. I got in there and you know what? I just don't like the gym. I'm going to go back. I promised her that I will lose weight because, you know, I'm getting a little bit thick in the middle and she's worrying as I get older, she wants me around. So yeah, so I don't like the gym. If you guys could email me, cooper at coopertalk.net, what would make me like the gym better? That'd be great for me. Anyway, we have a great show and my guest is an actor who, you know, great career. I, I, I first found out of him on, on the bridge, which he was so good. And he was, you felt bad for him, but then he was evil and it was just great acting. And my guest is Eric Lang. How you doing, Eric? I'm good. How are you? Now, now do you work out? Cause you, you look like you're in a pretty good shape. Oh God. Thank you. No, I have the same, um, struggle with the gym that you do. I just, it's, it's, I have a membership that's so cheap that it's more like an insurance policy. Like I can't cancel <laughs> it because I could never get it again, but it's so cheap that I don't go. So I'm like, oh, it's 13 bucks that month, whatever, you know. So it's hard. I, I, I struggle. I really do. I feel so much better when I go, mentally, physically, everything. But man, it's hard to get me in there. Yeah, I go to Burbank Athletic. Oh, yeah. It's 10 bucks a month. And yeah. so you get there and you get on the treadmill. And I'll get on the treadmill and you sit there. And the problem is when you pay 10 bucks for a gym, half the machines don't work. Yeah. Like I get on one and it's squeaking. I'm like, I can't go. And then I need the TV to keep me you know, something, keep my mind off that I'm exercising and then the one TV doesn't work. But I'm, I'm the same way. It's $10, so I'm not going to get rid of it because it's like, what if I decide, what if I wake up one morning and say, hey man, you know what? I really want to get in shape. And then I'll go, yeah. wait, I can pay 25 bucks? Screw it. Yeah, I know. I, I, I keep it in case I need some role, weirdly, that I'd have to get buff for, which is never going to happen. <laughs> Who am I kidding? But, um, but yeah, I go to a, it's a much larger corporate gym, but, um, you know, just parking there half the time is a pain. And, uh, so I, you know, I struggle. So now, now you're, you grew up in Ohio. Yep. Now as a kid, did you always know you wanted to act? I mean, at what point did you go on this career path as a kid? Did you, were you involved in theater or did you have different, you know, things you wanted to do or what happened? I was always, uh, an artsy kid. Like we, I, I was never very good in sports, but, but, you know, I was drawing really early on. I was drawing at like nine years old and, and then I was into music. I started playing the piano at 10 and, um, then singing ultimately followed that. And then, um, so that was sort of my bent. Very obviously I was going to be some artsy kid. And then when I, um, went to middle school, I joined a show choir. Uh, you know, the sequin vests and the, the whole nine yards. <laughs> did you and, do jazz hands? Oh, we did jazz hands. <laughs> I had streamers. It was pretty embarrassing. But um, but I had a great time. I loved it. And we'd tour around and do competitions. And, uh, and then my freshman year, our school was so big, there was no uh, choir. We were in our own school at the freshman school that year. So there was no choir to, to do anything with. And I, uh, because I was busy with show choir, wasn't exactly you know, hanging out with the cool kids and running around. So I, I didn't have anything to do really that year. And my buddy was going to this drama club meeting and I said, sure, what the, you know, whatever. I always loved movies. I mean, that was always a big thing for me. Like, um, even when I was a kid listening to movie soundtracks after I, I'd see the movie, I'd buy the soundtrack and I'd stand in front of the mirror, you know, and play the soundtrack and try and enact, you know, whatever I'd seen. What were some of your, I mean, cause like for me, I grew up near Philadelphia, so Rocky was the big, I mean, as you get older, that was the big oh, yeah. soundtrack. But for you, what were some of the soundtracks you liked? Oh, Raiders, the Lost Ark. I mean, I was obsessed with Indiana Jones and Star Wars and all that stuff. Um, those, you know, those, uh, those were the big films for me when I was a kid. Um, so I, I did always like that, but I just, I don't think I ever thought necessarily I'd be an actor, but, um, but I went to this drama club meeting and it was like a room full of 30 people who were all very eccentric, very odd, let's say, and, and supremely confident at the same time. And I was a bit of an odd kid. I, I always felt like I, I was a little bit of an outsider. And so I was just curious how these guys had both trains running, you know, that they were, uh, there was a pride in their eccentricity. And, and once I started, you know, I, I auditioned for a play and I got, I got a part, I got it. Like it was just this community and you were, it was so insular and, and, 
you didn't care what what uh, anyone else thought of you at the school. You had this little family that you'd you'd formed, and then the work of doing being other people. You know, for me as someone who who I think I can say as an adult that I I felt awkward for a long time, and and to be someone else was sort of a refreshing change of pace, and and because uh, these people had things I didn't have or or owned confidence I didn't have, and. Um, so I remember the very first thing I, I did was I was an understudy in this musical called The Robber Bridegroom, which is I've never seen produced since. <laughs> but but I remember the curtain came down that that one night I got to do it, and I heard people applaud, and I was like I just heard this voice, this distinct core memory voice in my head that said, uh, you know, "This is home, like I'm this is it," and I never did anything else. So I know you went to what University of Miami, Ohio. Is yeah, it- Miami uh, University of Ohio. Yeah, I got through high school, then went to Miami and uh, got a BFA there. Okay, so in in theater. So yeah, theater. Now, now, were you constantly getting on stage, or were you? I mean, were you learning the craft, or what were you just learning tech, like theory or everything? It was, you know, the whole thing about college was I, I wasn't positive I was going to keep doing this. I knew I was, I had a thing for it, you know, but college is such a an investment into your future that I went to Miami because it was also a good fallback school, had a good business school, had a good whatever, you know, it was a good, really good school that if I dropped the acting thing, I'd still be taken care of there. But I got in there and then once I got there, just started working and I was doing, you know, two plays at a time, sometimes three plays at a time. And then we had eight hours of studio every day, which was our training. Um, so I was eat, sleeping, breathing, um, acting. And uh, and I think all that work I did there, all the all the plays I got to do, which at the end of four years was a, a ton, you know, just the experience of getting out there and doing it. I think it's just the best teacher, you know. So I graduated Miami, and it was five months later uh, that I I put all my stuff in my car and I drove to L.A. It was like uh, I just wanted to know what I was getting into. So you knew. I mean, you basically said, okay, I'm out of Ohio. I mean, because yeah. you, I mean, from Ohio, New York's closer, even. Chicago had acting going on. A yeah, lot Chicago of places- was tempting, uh, but I just thought that's just Chicago is a great city. I love it, and and it's got great theater there, and there's a lot of stuff that shoots there too. But ultimately, it's a stepping stone to if you're really going to do this and make a, a decent amount of money at it long term. L.A. and New York are still sort of. Uh, even though nothing shoots here anymore, <laughs> everything casts they're, here they're still. They're coming back, though. It's, it, you know, it is. There's slowly. been a lot of projects coming back, which is good because I know for actors, I mean, it's it's a hell of a lot better for you guys because it's like, well, wait a second. I have to go get a, a place in North Carolina or oh. New Orleans for a few weeks and compared to or a few months compared to, oh, I, I can go on set. I can drive home and see my family. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I never had any idea how much I would be traveling uh, with this job, but um so yeah, that, so I moved here, um, spent about eight years uh, trying to get an agent, just doing commercials. Thank God I got a commercial agent. So I was doing commercials to pay my bills and then theater at night because I thought that's where I've come from. If anyone's going to take notice of me, it's going to be on a stage. And um, that took eight years. And then my manager and I met when I was doing Streetcar um, up at the Rubicon Theater Company in Ventura, which is a great uh, local theater company. He picked me up, and then three months later, I had a guest star in the West Wing, and everything went in a totally different direction for the last 12 years. So, no, you were sitting there, you said doing commercials. Were you getting a lot of commercials? Because I know back then, you know, commercials were good money. I mean, I know, I know people sit there and go, yeah, I booked, you know, I, I booked, I know one guy who said, oh, I booked, you know, they did end up doing five of these certain commercials of a certain car, and he's like, I made like, low six figures he said oh yeah he said he goes he goes i was like wow and he goes i've been busting my ass forever and then i get this commercial that made more money i mean one guy booked like 12 nationals in one year and he just bought a bunch of places out in the valley because he said you know i'm that's his his nut you know so i mean were you getting like what were some of the commercials you were in oh gosh i um i did well because i was um i was pretty young but i was balding and I was thin, so I sort of looked like a young, I was viable as a dad. I had a 16-year-old kid and a son when I was 23 years old. Um, so we were like, don't tell anybody my actual age. But, uh, oh gosh, Bud Light, Jack in the Box, I was the the original Morgan Stanley dad guy. Uh, Net Zero, I was their first spokesperson. Wow. Um, <laughs> God, <zero>. Chrysler, <laughs> Sears, I didn't. I was lucky. I did a lot of commercials. My first year with my agent, I, I think it was like 
six nationals and something else and i still made less than 50 grand it's like they're getting really clever um about how and where they run things and it's harder and harder to make i haven't been doing commercials in a while but but it's harder from what i hear from my friends to make a living there anymore doesn't that suck i mean uh, when you think about it's it it's really it, unfair it's even with voiceovers you know i, I know people who are voice actors and they yeah. say they're always going for celebrities now and you know because they want you know a Clooney or you know i mean mm -hmm. well i can see when you watch the one truck campaign and you hear dennis leary his voice is perfect for that oh yeah but if you have like you don't when it's something subtle you don't really me personally i don't sit there i'll occasionally and say okay that voice sounds familiar and i'll google it but i don't sit there and just if george clooney is talking about mercedes it doesn't sit there and make me go well i'm gonna buy mercedes because i mean i'd rather hear someone who voice is just really nice or even sounds like george clooney because because he doesn't need to work yeah 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 it my wife um represents directors who who make commercials and so i i hear the advertising world from her now from a totally different perspective and uh i tell you man i don't know i'm 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 glad i'm not in it anymore but there was a window when you could make a lot of money in commercials and that um that window seems to be closing but um i was grateful to have it because i that kept me from having to have a job that would take my nights because you have to keep your days open to audition ostensibly if you're actually getting them. Right. Um, so it kept my days open so I could do that. And then, and my nights were free for theater. So, so the West wing was one of your, your first parts. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had like, he, and my manager just said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send you out a couple times. We'll see what happens. I think I booked like the second thing, which was a small part. And then the, the third thing, you know, it's the thing about, the relationship to begin with, I always equate it to meeting your wife. It's like, um, or your partner, whoever it is for you. Uh, it took me eight years to meet him, you know, but he saw me in a very specific, and uh, Mitch and streetcar. And I didn't have any credits, you know, no TV to speak of really. But when you're able to shine like that in front of somebody, he is then able to take that and, and call Laura Schiff and say, you don't know this guy, but you've got to see this guy. I'm telling you, I promise you. And and it's really hard to find someone who will speak to that level on your behalf because most people don't get to show their best cards to whoever you know represents them. So that was lucky with me, uh, with Devin from from the get-go, my manager, because he had all this, you know, chutzpah behind what he saw that night and and belief in me. And he, I think, literally forced them to see me. Um, and I knew it was a big opportunity, so I busted my butt. And and um, that's the one thing theater teaches you is a work ethic that's like uh, pretty intense. Um, and I got it. And after that, anybody else we called would say, well, "Oh, he was on the West Wing. Well, fine, Br bring him in." You know, I, I, it just, it was, it was a gauntlet that had been, you know, sort of passed. I was going to say that because it was such a respectable show. I mean, it was Aaron Sorkin and Martin Sheen, just and uh, Allison Janney and Mark Ship, and all, oh, yeah. I mean, all these amazing actors i mean for a young actor were you intimidated at all because this is your i mean this is as you said you had some other things i know you were a singing waiter in some movie and some other oh, yeah. that's <laughs> a, it's listed on your imdb yeah. it says uncredited yeah but you had some other like small parts it yeah. looks like but this i mean this is the, the the big this is the big time now did you feel confident to step up to the plate or were you a little nervous or i mean what went through your mind when you're sitting there going this is the west wing because as you said once at that time the West Wing was so critically acclaimed. Oh, yeah. Such a huge, huge show. Yeah. I mean, were you, were you just ready to hit the home run when you got up or you were a little trepidatious? I, I'm always anxious still when I, the first day of anything, I'm, I'm still like, can I do this? You know, there's all, I think there's some weird pre-programmed uh, first doubt with me about all this stuff. But uh, in, in uh, one sense, when I moved to LA, I was pretty cocky because I had done so much uh, in, in school, I had done so many different plays and, and I got out here and I quickly saw that not everyone had had the training I'd had or had the experience and, and that I had had. And so I felt pretty confident. And then, uh, but I didn't know anything about TV and film. So I, I was an extra, I worked as an extra for like, I don't know, nine months or a year because I just wanted to be on sets and, and see like, and learn. That was like, I treated it like school. Um, so in that, you know, nine months to a year, I just, I watched, I watched how people behaved. I watched where the cameras were. I watched when, oh, so now they turn around. Now there's this other angle. And so between doing that and, you know, student films while I'm doing theater, not real work necessarily, but uh, between all of that, by the time the West Wing came along, I was just dying. I was right. so, I was banging on the door to, to work, you know, so I, I over-prepared. I remember it was one big round table scene. 
was a bunch of us and Bradley Whitford. And he turned to me at one point, and he goes, good Lord, man, you guys are like, you're on your game. Like, we see people who don't know their lines in here, and I'm like, this is my, <laughs> this is my big shot, man. I got to make this one, this one count, you know, so. But that's how I view uh, most things. I mean, I, I just think you have to. It's such a competitive field. Um, if you, you know, just uh, lay back on one, it, you know, I don't know. I I, uh, I take my little preparation seriously. Well, you should. I mean, that's like for me. I prepare for my show. I do my no. research because no. I've talked to guests who go, wow, you prepared. I go, well, what do you expect? I go, well, I've gone into things. And the guy's just like, uh, someone even said, uh, Jim O'Hare said he, uh, from Parks and Recreation said mm-hmm. his wife on the Parks and Recreation was uh, Cheryl Teagues. And she was on a few times. And then the one he got interviewed on, a, and I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a right. pretty big TV show. I mean, in LA, you know, yeah. th- they should know they're in the entertainment business. And the guy's like, so yeah, so you finally, we finally get to see your wife. And he's like sitting there going, she was on five episodes. And he's like, you know, oh. you sit there and it's even, even when Oprah sat there with Drew Brees, you know, and she thought that his birthmark was, was a spot. She oh tried, yeah. She tried to wipe it off his face. It's like, I know you're Oprah and, and she's amazing, but it's like, you should know. That yeah. Like, especially something like that. That's so sensitive. I mean, it's like, sitting there, yeah. <laughs> be like me pulling on your beard. Is that real? You know, I mean, I, I know it's real. Right. I mean, you should, you should do your research, but that's good. You do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's your job. I think, right. It's, that's what you do. That's what what you're supposed to do but now after west wing i saw you started doing a lot of uh guest stars i mean yeah. did, did, did all of a sudden i mean did west wing actually catapult that i mean you know they they said you could get in on you could you know west wing was a big thing and you said your agent your manager or agent could say right. was in west wing did that start opening doors though was that something where you feel that auditions you would not have gotten or did you get booked without auditions or what happened because i know you're on like i'm looking er and csi new york and a bunch of things did yeah you, did you get all just audition for all them but sometimes did you get to get a, a request just because you were in the west that- no i wasn't getting offers then um but the west wing opened up doors to to audition uh because the silly double standard you know double-edged sword in the city is you can't audition for a guest star without another guest star but how do you get your first guest star you know all that bs um so it definitely helped open doors for me for auditions and and uh i was so uh and you know charged up by getting that gig that i was walking into these things you know like a million dollars feeling like feeling great and um you know it was just a long time coming for me i was finally in an arena that i thought i would have been in four years prior you know you you just don't realize the years go by and you're like my god i still don't have you know um this thing, these things happen quickly for some people too, and I actually feel for them a little bit because I don't think you get—I uh, don't think you have the same appreciation of what you're getting when it comes too easily for you. So I always equated it to wine. It's like as long as I'm out there working, I'm—you I, know—whenever I wasn't on stage, I was in a class, and uh, as long as you're out there working, you're just getting better and better. You know, it's just no one is really seeing it right, yet, <laughs> except the eight people in your theater that, that came to see your play. Now you're in an episode of Cold Case. And, yeah, and and that's funny. I love that show, maybe because I grew up near Philadelphia. And I swear to God, every every other show, one of my guests has been on an episode of Cold Case. Oh, everyone's been I on mean, that show, and it was a great show. I mean, yeah. especially good stuff. What was your what was your uh, who did you play? Did, were you you might remember it. It was a great episode. Um, it was uh, not because of me, but it was uh, the, a community theater doing a cabaret. Okay, doing a production of cabaret, and they had the guy from Rent. Uh, in the lead role in Cabaret, and I was Lyle, who was like the uh, the, the accompanist, and, but I really wanted everyone to see that I could act, and I was in love with the lead girl, so I had this fixation on getting rid of the guy from Rent <laughs> to play the part, and so so I end up shooting him backstage, and then uh, they arrest me, and my excuse is, you know, I knew every word of that show. You right. know, he was he was so <laughs> sure he could just go on and do it. Um, that was a fun episode, actually. That was one of the good good guest stars I've had. Now, what were you getting at that time? What were you getting called out as your auditions for, as you say, the killer? Or because I know we're both balding guys. Yes. And a probably. lot of times, TV says, well, if they're bald, they're psychos, they're yeah. killers. I mean, it's yeah. it's sort of typecasting. If you have a full head of hair, if you you're a politician, but if you're balding, hey, right, psycho killer. What were you get? What kind of roles were you going out for? Well, a lot of that be, uh, is just a, a formula or. Um, a fact of the one-hour drama um, setup, right? So if it's a murder show, you you got the victim, and then you've got the guy who did it. 
And that's who they're chasing the entire episode. So that's usually one of the best parts there. It's just the, the, the perpetrator of the crime. So I would usually bounce from one rapist to pedophile to killer to what, you know, for, for a long time. Um, and you get very, very clear about, uh, you have the three scenes, the first scene where they come into your house and nothing is wrong. And the second scene, well, we got something on you, but they don't have you yet. And then the third scene when they whip out the thing that convicts you, you know? So I've been in a lot of interrogation rooms on a lot of one hour dramas. Well, you're doing a lot of dramas. Then you pop up on my name is Earl. Yeah. So now that must, I mean, did you, are you a fan of comedy? Because I mean, I'm sure a good actor can do anything. Yeah. But for your, your, you know, for your, the streak you're on, all your roles were pretty much on dramas. Right. And so were you excited when the comedy came up? Or I mean, cause a lot of times if you're playing a pedophile or a criminal, they're not going to sit there and look at you for a comedy because a lot of times if people, and I don't do this cause I know what actors are, but there's some people who sit there and go, Hey, that guy, that guy, you know, killed someone on cold case. He right. can't be funny. I mean, how was, were you surprised and were you excited when the comedy came up? It's funny. Like I've always felt that uh, the people who are really good dramatic actors can be just as funny. It's just, you don't always get a chance to, to do that. I mean, if you'd asked my friends when I moved out here, I think they would probably say that I would have been in comedies, but it's not the way I worked. I think I have a certain like, um, proclivity or interest in, in dramas. Uh, I don't think there's a, you know, a wealth of amazing comedies on television. So I, I'm not as interested in that necessarily, but I've always wanted to do both um, because comedies are, are fun. They're light there, you know. So My Name is Earl was great. I did Modern Family. Like that was... Uh, and they're both great. I mean, My Name is Earl was a really funny show. I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of people didn't want to didn't watch it at first because they thought it looked quirky. But when you watch it, First of all, it has a good message. I mean, yeah. in all honesty, but it's one of those things. And Modern Family is killer. I mean, right. they're both great. But but that must be great, you know, for the comedies you do to be able to get a My Name Is Zero or get a Modern Family. That must be great because you're you're playing in the big leagues. Both those uh, guys. I mean, the guy who does uh, Modern Family did Just Shoot Me, and the guy. Oh yeah. And the guy who did My Name Is Zero went on to do a few other shows, uh, Raising Hope and stuff like that. So yeah. it must be great to sit there and because when you're you're sitting there and you're doing comedy with people who are actually good at comedy you're doing the right kind of comedies, right. yeah and that wasn't necessarily a strategy i don't i don't think i have the luxury of saying that but but uh modern family i was i think it was the second season it wasn't um it was a hit but it wasn't like the the juggernaut that it is now and and um so i i don't even think i was aware that i would be i should be nervous in the way that i that i would be now if i gone on, on that show um but yeah i love i mean and i spent you know, three years on uh, this show called Victorious, which is like this teenage show. We're going to talk about yeah, that's, that's that's a very popular show. And yeah, it's, so it brings you a whole different. Well, audience. that's like, that's like uh, it's basically a sitcom, you know, right. but for teenagers and and that you know character, uh, Mr. Psychowitz was his name. It was basically you know my homage to Robin Williams or something like. He was like this acting teacher who I always thought was never really an actor, but he just uh, his method of teaching would be like what's the greatest actor ever? How would he be as a teacher? So it was like a mix of Peter O'Toole and, and Robin Williams, you know, in my mind. And But every episode was just more extraordinary than the next, you know, in terms of his behavior and maybe some subtle references to drugs that the kids might not get or something right. like that. But, but it was just, I treated it as a gym, you know, because that was a thing that I never got to do anywhere else. You know, I was doing that show and Lost at the same time. How did you, how did, okay, how did Lost... Uh, come up and then you were on about seven or eight episodes I believe uh -huh. and how as an actor does that affect you for the fact that how people see you because I know Lost is one of those I mean I didn't watch it I'll, I'll be honest I just yeah. I, I missed it from the beginning and I'm one of those people if, if I miss the first two seasons I don't have time and then yeah. now I always say with you know with the advent of social media and how big it is you can't watch a show if you haven't watched because everyone ruins it Everyone's right. like, like The Walking Dead, I watched the first two seasons, then all of a sudden, hey, such and such died. I'm like, well, you know, what if someone didn't watch it? Like, you know, I have East Coast friends. Right. You know, they posted, I go, well, what if I was going to watch that at, at nine? Yeah. And then you already ruined it for me. So I didn't, I didn't start watching Lost, but Lost had such a, a, a hungry crowd that everyone loved it. I mean, for you, I mean, it must have been great shooting it. I mean, what season were you on? Uh, five. Okay. And so now the cast, they already started to gel together. Oh, it was a, it was a explosive it was a huge hit still i mean now, it was, did, uh, i mentioned yeah it was that's when yeah. it was really catching momentum right now did you watch the show before you were on it yeah 
Okay. Yeah, I, I was a huge fan of that show. So what's that like when, you're, when your manager or agent says, hey, you know that show Lost? And of course, you know, because yeah. you're an actor. But as a, as, a, as a fan of it, it must be weird for the fact that, one, you want to do it justice. But two, then you're thinking, I bet also, it's like, well, damn, I'm, I'm going to know what happens now for the next few episodes. I mean, what was that like? And was it a big audition where you just pumped as hell to get it? It... Uh... Well, you know, you do all these guest stars that I had been doing and, and, you know, you quickly realize they, they don't change your career necessarily. You know, it's like, it's another job, it's another job, you work your ass off, whatever, but it's not like uh, you're getting a call saying, Hey, we saw that episode of Moesha. We got to have you on the Spielberg film, you know, whatever it is. And then, uh, this thing for lost came up and it was actually a small little audition. It was like two pages and it was this character name, whatever. And, and I went in and, and, um, uh, read, uh, the casting director for that show is amazing, reads really intensely with you, uh, April Webster, uh, I think is her name, and um, so she always makes you feel good about your work, because she, she helps you a lot in there, but I, I just left feeling like it was great, but I had no idea, and then uh, I guess it was a week later they called, and they said, so you got it, and I went, oh, great, and, and they said, and uh, you're playing Radzinski, and I said, no, 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 it's this other, I, I actually auditioned for this other part. And they said, oh, that's not, a, that's a fake name. It was fake sides. You know, we're, we're, we're hiding this. And, and then I went, well, why are you hiding it? You know, and I just Googled the word uh, Radzinski because I hadn't remembered it. Um, but he was actually mentioned in season two as the guy who had discovered all this stuff about the island, who sort of knew a lot of secrets about it. And then who had mapped the whole island and then blew his head off, basically. And so it's this guy with all this information that we never, ever knew anything about, and that's the guy I'm now going to be playing. And, you know, within days of being in Hawaii, someone had taken my picture from the road, and it was all over the blogs because my name was on my jumpsuit, Redzinski, and this explosion happened on the Internet that we're going to finally meet this guy. And so I felt all this pressure right. <laughs> to fill the boots of someone we've never seen before, but who everyone's expecting all this great information from. And it turns out he's just this lunatic uh, uh, with an anger management problem who has power issues. And I mean, it was, he was just a bull in a China shop the entire season. And, uh, but it, you know, it was, um, I guess the irony was it was only supposed to be two episodes that I was doing. And I did those, and then I came back for the holidays, and they called, and they said, you're on hold for the rest of the season, and I was just blown away. I couldn't believe I was going to get to to do more, you know, all the way up to the finale. And um, But that, you know, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof came to the set during the finale and, and pulled me aside, and I had a lovely conversation with them. And, and Carlton said to me, he said, I think when you go back to L.A., you'll find your life is going to be different. And I was like, well, that, you know, whatever, because I, I've been doing these guest right. stars forever. <laughs> and I think the first afternoon I was back in Burbank, someone stopped me on the street to get a picture. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And that happened four times that day. It was like. So after, I mean, after the years of, you know, being commercials and being a working actor and being yeah. a successful actor, I mean, because basically my thing is anyone who has made a living and worked and been in shows. Sure. You know is successful and people i mean may have recognized you because there's people like me who recognize everybody and you sit there and right go, hey and i'm on these people i saw you on this it's, oh yeah yeah you know and that's the thing but for yeah. you it must have been something that was just odd because you probably thought when first i mean four people in one day you're probably going wait is it this show has that much impact it was very odd it really was and you know not only that but audition rooms um when I would go back into audition now, it was like, oh, thank you so much for coming in. And we're such fans of the show. You know, Lost had the impression, could give the impression that you were a regular on the show, even though I was just a recurring guest star. Because even the regulars on the show were sporadic throughout the season. So you ended up getting the weight of being like a regular on that show when it, when you were actually just a, a hired gun for half the season. But it changed the way... I felt I was treated, you know, in, in these auditions and, and, um, you're, the stock just went up, the credibility went up a little bit, you know, and it's just same level of work. I feel like I've always been doing just on a show that is, you know, it's like the breaking bads. It's like all those things. You get one of those things and, you know, it can change your entire life. I'll, you know, people still yell Radzinski at me, you know, on the street. I mean, I don't think that'll ever go away, but but I'm grateful. I am more grateful to that show than than anything I've done. I think um, because it just it really changed the 
the trajectory a little bit. How did it change? What what roles did you start getting? I mean, were you getting? I mean, because before you you were constantly working. I see on your IMDb, you know, you, you were in different series. Did Victorious right. come? You said you shot Victorious at the same time, or how did how did that go hand in hand? And I see. I mean, looking at your looking at your stuff. I mean, you were in Twenty Six Miles, which was a show. Was it? I mean, just was yeah. did, did, did these shows did series offers start coming to you because everyone, as you said, you were the guy from Lost. I mean, you said. Yeah. I mean, even though as you said you were a hired gun, still by being around being a hired gun for recurring on Lost is a lot better than being a regular on you know some show that nobody sees and nobody and people see it and they go. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and and God bless that show, too, in that they have they had the room to sort of maneuver. You know, they make sort of bookmarks throughout the show, like or, or, or um, they quarter the show off, you know, into like four sections. But within each section, they can have one guy grow or shrink if they want, you know. You see people go away very quickly that maybe would have stuck around, and I got to stick around more, and they they sort of wrote more for me, and, and that was the great gift. Um, but, you know, I, I find that everything um, in this business is a much smaller uptick than you think the stock will actually cry. You know, I had this envision that, you know, oh, now I'm on this. I'll have a series next year. No, it didn't work that way. You know, but um, I got in for pilots I wouldn't have gotten in for before. Um, I got meatier guest stars than I would have gotten before. You know, I just I think there's this hope that you get one thing and then your life changes overnight. And I think that does exist for some people sometimes, but mainly it's a, it's a more subtle congratulations. And now here's a raise. You have a bigger desk. Okay. Same office, (laughs) bigger desk, you know? Um, but that's okay with me. I'm, I'm fine with that. As long as the stock is going up, you know, uh, I'm all right with it. Now, how weird was it, you know, first of all, you said Lost and Victorious, because yeah. also, you know, these shows, and, and I'll be honest, and I, my listeners know, I would watch iCarly because I thought it was funny, and mm. I, they had, you guys had a crossover, Yeah. but I mean, I was sitting there, and I would talk to my buddy, and he'd be like, yeah, my kids will, I said, I like it, and they go, you don't have kids, I go, no, it's funny, and it, it's, it, I knew a guy who wrote for it, and it, it's a well put together show. Who do you know? Uh, George Doty wrote for. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah George, I haven't seen. Yeah. Him. I don't know if he moved. I, I haven't. He lives in Burbank, but I haven't seen him forever. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know what happened. But yeah, George was. They're uh, all good guys. Yeah, and I, you know, but the funny thing is, that's another show that once you're in a show like that, you have a whole new fan base. Oh yeah. Because one thing is, because you played a quirky character, uh-huh. you know, over the top. Kids yeah. love that. I yeah. mean, that's like the kids who watch, and there's kids who watch those shows. I mean, look at the girls from iCarly. They put albums out. Yeah. And they top the charts. And oh, Victoria, yeah. I mean, just Victorious became a hit because, I mean, so now you go from having the people who love you from Lost, who are mostly adults and, you know, cerebral, to you had you had to start getting recognized from kids when you went out. And I've always heard stories that when you get recognized by kids, it's a lot different. Like if you go into a mall, and people go, hey, Radzinski, you know, hey. But right. if a kid sits there, and if you're, let's say, and someone told a story, they were in a C's candy store, and the kid's like, hey, are you? Yeah, yeah I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, hey, out in the mall, hey, such and such is here. I mean, did that start happening to you? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, if you look at my Twitter followers, you know, it's probably 90% victorious people. Okay. And 10% lost the bridge, weeds, whatever else I've done. Like, they are tremendous fans. Um, and uh loyal and loving and uh but yeah i had no idea uh what a thing that show was until my my brother-in-law uh was coaching a football team a high school football team and we went down to see the game and to just support him and someone saw me in the stands and came up to get a picture and then ran down and immediately told (laughs) the entire bottom refreshment stand of this and we got um there was no security it was just a football game and i there were probably 60 or 70 kids that rushed up our and now people are trying to watch the game and these kids are like just grabbing me it got so bad that uh when the game was over the football team came off the field and created a little line a little guarded line for me and my family to walk through so we could get out of the stadium i mean i just thought it was a show for like younger you know, my maybe uh, late high school wasn't the, the, but man, they they are, um, they just love it, and they're so. There's two extremes. One, they either just grab you by the hair and and force you to take a picture, whether you know you're taking it or not, <laughs> or they just stare at you 
from a distance for like 20 minutes and they're so terrified to talk to you because they don't know what they're going to get. And <laughs> they think you're probably just like the, the character. Yeah. Because the guy had a big voice on the show, and then I meet them, and I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? What's your name? And they just stare at me like, something is wrong. This isn't, it looks right, but it sounds wrong. It's a treat. It's so, fun. But that's good. Now, you also said weeds. Now, now weeds you had a recurring part on, and that yeah. also had, I mean, you've been in these shows that have a, you're, they're all different. I mean, the people who follow them, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, Lost, you know, yeah. and Weeds. I mean, so now the, now the Weeds, how did that come apart? Were you, were you a, a fan of the show before you were on it? I, hadn't, I, I had never seen Weeds. But I was a big fan of Mary Louise Parker, and I knew the show was uh, was a big thing, and it was just a great. Um, it was like three or four episodes, but it was all me and Mary Louise Parker in a hotel room, um, not having sex. I don't know how this happened to me. It seems like everyone else <laughs> did on that show was having sex of some sort, but um, but it was just like a we treated it almost like a play. I mean, it was just a two person scene that went on for like a long time. And that was one of the best experiences I've ever had. I mean, she's just an amazing actress and so generous with me. And um, it's just rare you get that. I mean, I think it was a 30-page script. I think our scenes were 17 pages of the one script. It's like to have that much time with someone of that level on television is like you just can't you can't ask for more than that. You know? How do you prepare to learn your lines when it's that much? I mean, it's that's a lot, as you said. That's that's yeah. and you have to you know as a professional. I know you probably the background in theater right. helps it. But also it's like, you know, I've talked to people who, you know, they want to deliver because one, the crew doesn't want to be there for that long. No. And, you know, and if you sit there and like, I had one girl on who said she was at a Tarantino movie and she said, uh, she had to walk up the steps. Her name is Dana Gourier. She was on in a uh, Django and she said, there's a new uh-huh. movie coming up. And she said she had to walk up with this big dress and this candle opera and she screwed it up. So she said, after that scene, they took a break and she said she practiced and practiced and put it in her mind that she said, I will nail every scene on my, due to me, I will make it in three takes the most. Yeah. Because then if it's the crew screws up, that's fine. But I don't want to sit there and feel responsible. I mean, when you're learning all that dialogue and you're dealing with someone who's a great actress, you know, and you know, you guys are going to have different takes on it. I mean, how do you sit there and prepare for so much dialogue? Well, the theater sort of makes it easy because a play, you know, is like, um, you know, play is two or three hours long and you're doing it all at one time. So to learn a four page scene or a five page scene, uh, you know, you have to sit down with it. And the older I get, the earlier I have to sit down with it because my my memory is not as good as it used to be. But, um, you know, you just do the work to to not just memorize the lines, but to sort of make. Uh, connections for yourself with the dialogue you know the more you know what you're saying uh, or why you're saying uh, that helps and it helps you remember you know the words you're saying if your intentions are clear and you know what you're doing and so to me it's about understanding the whole scene uh, as much as possible and that helps recall everything else on a a, a logistical level like words and, and things like that but it's tricky it's just it's boring sometimes you know to sit there and just over and over and over, my poor wife. I'm always like, okay, run it, run it again, again, again. You know. <laughs> so now, now you also did easily to assemble. That was with Ileana Douglas. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, did that shoot here? Or did that shoot overseas? Or, we shot at IKEA in Burbank. Okay, I don't know because she was on the show and she talked about it. Yeah. But that was another. That was another good cast. Yeah. And so you're and you're doing so. That's more of a comedy. Yeah, that was like a Christopher Guest kind of thing. It was like all these odd celebrities and and and. Uh, uh, great cast and it was just fun you know that thing was just goofy and fun so you're doing some comedies you know you're, yeah. doing, you're doing the weeds you're doing victorious you're doing it and then, and then the bridge comes apart. yeah <laughs> well the cult was before the bridge right oh yeah cult yeah but the bridge and now the funny thing for me about the bridge was whenever i see a good uh preview may make you know because fx is very good at that they're great at marketing they, they have like it's like a 15 second spot and you yeah. see the picture and you're like what and then someone had said oh well it's based on a uh swedish and norwegian series right. and so i googled that and i go wow this sounds interesting and the whole thing and then watch the first episode and, and it's one of those things where you know some people are going to be like what the hell is this me i was like this is so cool yeah you know, where they found the body and you have you have no clue and i mean how did were you excited for that role and once again that was a show that your role i mean is you feel bad 
for you, mm-hmm. but then you sort of don't. You, you yeah. sit there and you start losing, and as an actor, it must be great because you're sympathetic in the beginning, and, and you're you're a, a nice guy. I mean, right. you're, you're not you know the the lunatic you are, but I mean, right. what was that? Were you excited for that role when you saw it, and did you know it was going to be a recurring role and had that much meat to it? I went in originally to play uh, this guy named Paul who tries to pick her up in the bar and like the pilot or episode two or something. And he was just supposed to be a nice, normal guy, you know, who was hitting on this really attractive girl. He does. And this other thing, he picks up and they go and have sex and she yes. throws him out. Yeah. Okay. That guy is who I read for. And uh, then I got home and they called and they said that he's not going to get Paul, but there's this other thing they think they might want him to do. And I've heard that 6,000 times. So I'm like, fantastic. You know, call me when, call me when it's a reality. And then the next day they called and they said, so yeah, there's this thing. And, um, and we, we can't tell you what it is, but it's going to last the rest of the show. It's going to be on the entire season. And, and we literally pushed them to go, we have to know. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you Before prepare? we accept this, I got to know. If I well, so they were giving you the offer without even telling you what it was. Yes. And, and, I, so, and you're right. You have to know, because what if it's something that you're like, well, wait yeah, a second. Maybe he's the janitor at the school for the whole <laughs> season, you know, whatever. So finally, I got um, a meeting um, with uh, Elwood Reed, who was the... The, one of the showrunners, and he sat me down in an office and he said, so you're the killer and um, it's going to be revealed and all this stuff. You know, he, we're going to have you play one guy for half the season and then in the middle of it, we're going to say, you know. Now, but, how exciting is that? I'm sorry to interrupt. How exciting is that as an actor when they sit there and say, you're going to play this and then we're going to change gears? As an actor, that must be one of like a dream it's role. It's the best thing you could ever get asked to do. I mean, first of all, to work on FX, second of all, to work with Damien Bashir and Diane Kruger and, and um and the the showrunners the caliber of writers they had like it was a top notch show and I'd never you know I'd had like you know f- seven episodes on Lost whatever but this is gonna be like it's two cops searching for one guy the entire season and I'm that guy so it was like a big deal for me and then to play two people basically was so much fun to go you know I can use this nice guy face I've had all my life that and and then flip it on everybody and and. I think, you know, for the most part, I felt successful about it. You know, the show sort of got so wild at the end. You know, here I am with a with a kidnapped cop in a car with a guy who I kidnapped earlier who's a missing person and I'm driving across the border into Mexico. No one checks the plates. Like, it got, you know, very funky at the end. But, um, but I was just... Uh, honored to be a part of it and to be uh, to be given that opportunity to do that you know it's like it was an incredible incredible gig for me and you know it's funny the the show got sucked such mixed feedback by the end because some people were just you know um well as always people are, are polarized by things and so i sort of walked away from the whole thing going gosh i don't know if that that uh went over for me well or not um, but then I'll go into these offices and people will say, oh my God, the bridge, the bridge. And I'm like, okay, so I guess it, it was just hard. I didn't, it was like, um, it was hard to see it from the outside, you know, because it was, uh, it started off sort of being a political thing where he was killing people for political reasons. And, and then when it became a personal thing, a lot of people went, oh, this is ridiculous. We can't get behind a guy who's doing all this because his wife cheated on him, you know? And you sort of feel all that if you read, you know, it teaches you lessons about how much stuff you should read on the internet. Because I read reviews, you know, and I've never really been afraid of them. They don't really change what I'm doing necessarily. This started in theater. But the more you go along, you go, maybe, maybe I'm not servicing myself by reading these things anymore. Um, Because it just changes your relationship with the thing. Well, that's that's Uh, also, people just, you know. It's reviewers. I mean, I would, I take them. Or just people. Yeah, you know, but it's people, not even critics for, necessarily. Well, the funny thing is, well, people on the internet, you know, a bunch of them just say stuff just to get shock. Yeah. But then reviewers, I sit there, it's like the movie Creed came out, which I heard is very good. And, you know, I love yeah. Rocky. And I'm going through Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got like 93% out of, you know, 150 reviews. Yeah great amount but then i sat there and went okay well so there's nine bad reviews who and i'm sorry but the thing is who's giving it you know and when, when you give a bad review for rotten tomatoes i mean it's, it's under 50 percent. right so i'm thinking who's doing that and you read the reviews and you go this person's an idiot well it's not rocky well yeah we know it's not rocky but yeah. you know it's just that's what like the bridge i'm sure people sat there and went oh this is unbelievable oh this wouldn't happen right oh, this and it's like first of all it's tv 
And two, right. we watch TV to be entertained. You know, it's like the person who sits there and says, hey, uh, that guy in the background would never be doing that. Like, it's the old joke in trading sure. places. We go, oh, well, Philadelphia, Chestnut Street doesn't go this way. It goes the other way. And that's right. someone pointed out and we joke about it. But that's the thing. The people who sit there and take it, you know, the bridge. First of all, there's not going to be a place where they find a half a body and half a body. I watch, I see the news. I've never seen where there's two bodies on the border, <laughs> yeah. half and half, you know, and this yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. But that's why you watch the show. I mean, so, I mean, it's just funny. I mean, it's, you know, part of it is just to do with, you know, I, like, I, if you're a sensitive individual and, you know, you pour so much of yourself into these things, you know, especially that part, that show for me, like, I really put myself out there for it because it was such a great opportunity. And, you know, you just want everyone to love it exactly the way you loved it. And that's just not the world. And, um, and I think too, you know, when you guest star on something, you're in and out, you're basically left out of the fodder. You know, you're not, uh, usually the aim of anyone's dart. And the more you're on something, you know, for the longer length of time, you're going to get mixed up and you're, uh, you know, and frankly, most of what was talked about was, was that storyline. But because I was that storyline, I felt like, oh, great, I'm the anchor that's like sinking this show that everyone loves. And I think people rightly have uh, high expectations for FX, too, in general. Like, it depends on where your where your show is. But, um, you know, I take away good things from it. I, I'm really proud of that, uh, the work on that show. And and I do. I think it's an entertaining show. And, and um so yeah, that was a that was a highlight for sure for me. Now, what's it like when you know you're going on the show and you're having fun and you are the anchor and, and you know you're going to die? Yeah, it's like when you know it's like anything. It's like you know an athlete who goes, "Okay, I love sports. I know my career," and it's different, but it's like because their career ends, yours right. doesn't. But it must be sort of you know bittersweet because you're like you get to know the crew so well. Yeah, you get to sink your teeth into this role. Mm-hmm. You get to know your co-stars, and then. It's like you're a gun for hire, but this one's like you're the gun for hire, but you're the howitzer. You know, right. like you're the big wing. Right. How does that? I mean, when you when you get that part, do you sit there like do you start feeling a little bummed, like episode eight? I mean, how's that as an actor? What does it? What do you go through? Well, the I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that I was the kill anyone crew cast anybody. So the first half of the season, I shot most of my stuff by myself, uh, except me and Catalina who had our little um, work office scenes, but no one knew. And I was afraid I was going to spill something. So I kept to myself for a lot of the time, which is, I love uh, being uh, regularly on something because you do, you form a little family, just like theater. To me, it becomes like another theater. And I get really charged out of that. I like the friendships. I like the, you know, the the camaraderie and the, you know, the uh, the sharing of ideas and all that. So that didn't start for me until late on the bridge anyway. Um, and I I knew that I wasn't going to die the first season. They told me that. And so I thought, well, there's a second season. But the way, you know, the first season ended, I went, if I'm going to stay, I'm not going to stay for long. And and I just wondered, well, I drowned his son. I did all this stuff. It's like, this guy has got to suffer this right. horrible fate. <laughs> so the question was more like, how gruesome is it going to be, you know, and uh, and how long am I going to be strung out on this, uh, some, some torture room or something? Um, but it was a pretty, uh, pretty good death. I was a uh, if you're going to die, die well. That's always been my motto, my motto, like make it fun, you know, I, let it be big and and uh, and gruesome. And, you know, now, how many times have you, have you died on TV? Do, I mean, uh, oh, not, God, I mean, a lot. And what, what was what was the best method of your kill um i've died many times um i'm trying to think the bridge might be i mean i think he he stuck his thumb and pulled my eyeball out (laughs) and then uh stuck tubes up my nose and poured acid into my head or something wasn't that it some kind of it was crazy so i foamed and then um that was pretty bad I think that might be the, the now, worst. Now, how do you sit there and get prepared for that? Because I'm sorry, just the eye thing. Anything get near your eyes. Oh, my like, God. I'm legally blind in one eye. So, I mean, like if, if I will, I'll put eye drops. I have to sit there and turn my head and drop it on my nose and turn and draw it. Just because oh. this eye, I have a vision out of it. It just throws me off. But you're in, a, you're in a scene where it has to look bad. I mean, were you freaking a little bit? Yeah, they gave you a little... Um eye patch that was metal. It was a metal dome. So, as hard as he pushed, it would only ever, like... Okay. push on the bone around my socket. It was all very, you know, um, tricky, but, uh, 
you know, they're professionals. They, they did a good job with it. It was basically, um, Tums or whatever they put on my on my tongue and then it foams. Okay. And then you just cough it up. It was it was ridiculous. You you finish a scene like that and you just think about your mom at home like this is what this is what it's become. That's sad. Now you also you flew to Columbia recently. Yes. Now that must have been great because I'm 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 going to me and my girlfriend said we're going to start watching Narcos because oh. I heard I heard I've heard great things about it. And once again that must be all great for you because when you go into a series that has Heat. I mean, that's one of the shows that everybody I know likes it, and it doesn't have a huge, huge, huge viewing audience, but it has the, to me, the viewing audience that counts. Yes. Yeah. This was a great, um, a great get. And you know, the irony is like all this stuff, like you auditions, whenever you prepare and you prepare and you go in and you sweat and then in the lobby and you you meet the people and you go out and you drive home and you're like, oh God, did I do it? You know, you do the lines here. And I was doing an episode of Grey's Anatomy. And couldn't even go to this audition. And I heard it was in Bogota. And I was like, I just had a new daughter. I don't even know if that's responsible for me as a father to go to, you know. And it was a series regular, so I was going to have to be there a lot. And But I couldn't even go to the audition because of Grey's Anatomy. So I put it on tape in my kitchen. And um, my wife couldn't be. I can only do these at night because my, my baby just makes too much noise. So I had to shoot it at night. My wife was gone. So I did the whole scene to nothing and then when my wife came home i recorded her saying my other lines and then i just dropped them in on the computer to my spaces so i literally did the scene alone in my kitchen at night on tape i've never booked the job from tape before uh i always get things by meeting people in rooms and whatever and i sent it off and i'm like what i did my best but you know whatever it's whatever and and i got it i um at the showrunner and, and i got it and it's um I've done pilots before, many pilots, but none of them have ever gone to air. So this is my first go series, uh, series regular, and on on any show I could think of right now, Narcos is the is the thing I would have picked. I mean, it's it's one of the hottest shows on TV for sure right now. And now that's Netflix only. Yeah. And now when does the second season premiere? Do you know? We're shooting it right now, but it probably won't premiere until August or September of next year. Because it's always good to know because it gives people time to sit there and go, okay, I got to catch up on that first series. Yeah. And that's what's great. I mean, Netflix has such great shows. I mean, and that's the thing what oh, happens man. is, I mean, I sit there I and mean, I love the show Lillehammer and it was like three seasons and I just loved it. And and sometimes you, you know, and it's, you forget how easy it is to watch Netflix. Like, you know, I love documentaries. So if Joanne's yeah. not around or if she's upstairs. I put it on the TV, or I, I bought the little Chromecast upstairs, which people get a Chromecast because they're thirty bucks. You pop it in your TV, and they you can just watch. I mean, Netflix costs nine bucks a month or eight bucks, whatever. You can watch so many good shows, and it must be great because that is like the cool way to go now. I mean, and then people can watch you anytime. Right, they're they're definitely the cool kids on the block. I mean, the whole streaming, the advent of streaming television. You know, like I think that's that's the next wave. I think te- television is just going to be a buffet. You're going to just pick the channels you want and you watch them whenever you want. I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword for me in that I actually like being forced to wait for things sometimes. I think I appreciate them more when I waited a week and there's the next episode of The Walking Dead and I sit down with my wife and we're like, okay, what's going to happen? Because when you go through the whole thing, it's sort of like opening all your presents Right. At once, I don't know. I'm sort of like, I, I I don't mind hanging out a bit. I'm saying the same, but like I was with Ray Donovan. We were always excited for Sunday. But then, you know, we watched Homeland, but I, just, I wasn't really that much interested. And Joanne said to me the other day, she goes, well, I have, there's four episodes backed up on a DVR. And I was like, eh, just watch them. You know, yeah. and if I watch it, but it's like anything. It's like, you know. It forces you to be self-disciplined right. if you don't want to watch them all at once. And I'm not a good so, as we <laughs> talked about with the gym. You know, here we are again, bookending. Now, are you still doing any theater at all? Yeah, I just um, I just did a show on Broadway last year. Which was The Country House. The Country House, yeah. We started it here at the Geffen. It was the first play I did in eight years. Uh, I used to work with the Rubicon um, uh, three or four years straight. I love those people. They're like family to me. But the TV stuff got so busy that I would never have time to, to do the show, so to do a play. But this play came up at the Geffen where I'd been wanting to work for a long time. And I read the script and I cried and I was like, I don't care what comes up. I got to do this play. I have to do a play and this one. And um, so that's what I did. We, I went in there and got it and um, and I just had to lose a few TV things. And then the thing moved to Broadway 
right before I found out my wife was pregnant. Um, so it was actually one of those weird uh, life versus art moments where you go, I, I know I should do this, but a part of me really wants to be here to be with my wife for this tremendous experience we may never have again, you know? So I got, I got to be able to get, the, the play was going to end just before she was born. And my buddy was like, Eric, you know, you can't help that baby develop in your, in your wife's belly. Right. This is Broadway. Exactly. You know? And it's like, it's an amazing part. Um, opposite Blythe Danner. It's like, I just couldn't, I always think about deathbed things. I think on my deathbed, will I be glad I stayed home with my wife, you know, while she was pregnant or gone to Broadway. And that was one of those things. 90% I'll, I'll take family any day, but this was like, I just don't know. And it's Broadway. And you know, you're, you're a theater guy. I mean, your roots are in theater. And I would think, you know, there's nothing bigger, you know, for an actor. I mean, you know, yeah, you can be in TV, you can be in movies, but if, and if that's what you plan to do yeah but, but you were a theater guy and all those years of theater you know sitting there when you were you know in the, the high school productions and all those college productions you're probably saying yeah one day i'm gonna be on broadway and everybody's hey you're full of crap you we know took, but we then you were on broadway we when i was a freshman in, in college we took a, a trip like 12 of us to new york because we knew a producer there who was going to give us tickets to the secret garden and so like 12 of us went and stayed in one hotel room in new york we went in in groups of three so they wouldn't catch on that we were like, <laughs> it was insanity. But our first night there, we walked through Times Square and I had bought this New York Yankees hat for my trip to New York. And we were in Times Square and everyone sort of moved away and I, I knelt down and I just sort of rubbed my hat on the ground just to sort of get some Broadway DNA on my hat. And the first night I was in New York, I was walking back from rehearsals and I walked through Times Square just accidentally, didn't quite know where I was going. And looked over and I was like, oh my God, that's the spot. 25 years ago, I rubbed my hat on the sidewalk and here I am. Like, if I had said to myself in that moment, 25 years from now, you're going to be doing a Broadway play, right? I would have just laughed, you know? Right. It's crazy the way. <laughs> it's the great thing about this business. You never know what you're going to be doing in five years or 10 years. And it's that sort of, you know, not knowing that keeps it exciting and also incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> but, but the thing is, you're constantly working. I know. We have a few minutes left. I know you're going to be on a, a you know, you, well, you have, what's coming up? I know you, you what, besides Narcos? Um, right now, just Narcos. Narcos is the big thing. And that'll, uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be something. We wrap in late April. Uh, so until then, it's hard to do much else because they, they've got me. They own me. So do you, do you go back to Columbia now or? You... Yeah, I'll be going back. The nice thing is I go there uh, and I work and then I come back when I'm not working. So I've been able to go back and forth and see my kid. And, and so that's um, good. Yeah. And plus, Columbia is probably pretty nice. It's not bad. That's what you know, you know it's Keep like, your head about you. You have but... to keep in the right spaces, but you're in the productions. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for having okay. me. Now, uh, now, now, you said about Twitter. Do you tweet a lot? And what is your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is uh, uh, Mr. Eric Lang. And Lang is L-A-N-G-E, just so you know, people. Correct. And uh, yeah, so find me on Twitter. I'm on. I'm on the Twitter. Do you tweet a lot, or are you just one of those guys who doesn't tweet a lot? I used to tweet more, and now I've got to get back in the habit. I've I've been a little lazy about the tweeting. All right. Well, get people follow him. Are you on Instagram? I'm not on Instagram. Yeah, get on Instagram because you know you're in all these sets. People like that stuff. I know my wife's into the Instagram. I don't. People, I, people, you know. you know. Well, follow him. People follow him on Twitter. Also follow me. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I like to tweet. It's fun. I write a lot of jokes on there, and it's always good. And I'm on Instagram, and I've been posting more. I post a lot of past shows and upcoming shows, and and food that I make, and it's that's at Cooper Talk One. That's at Cooper Talk One. And go to my website, CooperTalk.net. There's uh, God, I think there's. Almost 450 episodes off of past shows. You can also, if you like an actor and want to see if they're on my show, just Google Cooper Talk and put that person's name, and usually it will come up and will take a link right to my show. So do that and uh, email me, Cooper at coopertalk.net. I always respond. I like to hear what you guys are saying. In the Android store or the Google Play store, get my app and review it. You can listen to my show on your phone or your tablet. It's the Cooper Talk app. Just type in one word, Cooper Talk, because the two words people... They just separated. It's why I branded one word. Cooper Talk, you can get the app downloaded. It's free. Listen to my show. Also, don't forget my other website, StopTheSalt.com. StopTheSalt.com. Christmas time is coming up. Remember I went through that bad health problem? Well, I changed my diet. And I wrote a cookbook, a very easy cookbook. Cooking for one, people. It's low sodium. No pictures to intimidate you. No long list of recipes. So you're not going to sit there and go, well, I don't have cumin in the house. I can't make the recipe. Do it. Okay, go get it. 
start the new year healthy. So go to go to stopthesalt.com or you can go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and type in Stop the Salt by Steve Cooper. But if you go to my website, stopthesalt.com, I will sign it for you, which you don't care, but I make more money, which I care. So don't forget, follow me on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.